Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully uh, grateful for the last hour. It's really nice to chat with Patrick and then also Clay Craby. And this hour, we've got Dr. Ian Paul with a really a great study on, on how to study the Bible better. But I uh, just want a quick reminder, coming up November 21st, I'll be talking about this later in the hour. My friend uh, and Bible mentor Jeff Redorn is going to be teaching on, on parables and and I was just talking to Rebecca, and she was telling me about her lost ring. So you've got a great story about the parable of your lost ring. Well, it seems like it has echoes of Luke 15 in it, doesn't <laughs> right. it? Let's hear just it. Just a little bit. Well, yeah. I, like most married women, I love my wedding ring. Um, and cause it, not only because it's shiny and it's pretty, but also because of the, the value that's associated with that. And when you lose your ring, that tends to terrify you (laughs) and it changes everything about that moment it kind of co-opts whatever you were doing at the time that happened to me over the weekend I was rushing to the store to get you know some baby food and some various other things and we had an appointment that evening so everything was in a bit of a hurry I just thought I'll take care of going to the store I'll come back home and when I got in the front door I looked down at my hand and it didn't feel right I looked down Mm -hmm. and sure enough my ring was gone and that's a scary thought because you don't know instantly you're retracing your steps you you think about where i where i could have lost it checking all of your pockets multiple times looking at the floor i took my purse i dumped it all out on the indiscriminately just dumped the thing out on the couch uh, and i couldn't find it and my husband was trying to reassure me that everything was going to be okay that it had to be somewhere around and eventually i called the store where i was because that's all i could think about In that moment, that was all I could think about was my ring is supposed to be with me. I need to get this ring back. This is my ring. I need to get it back. I'm going to do whatever I can to get this ring back. I called the store. I described my ring. And then they said, all right, we'll take down your number. I, I didn't have high hopes. But a couple of minutes later, they called me back and said, yeah, we were looking outside. It was, it, was, wow. it was getting dark. They were looking outside. They found my ring. You can come and get it. Oh, that's just a great story. So that's all I could think about was was leaving where I was at the in time. A, in a parking lot of a grocery store, they yes. found your ring. And someone was honest enough to turn it in thinking there's a woman out there who's lost her wedding ring. Yes. So yeah. two two points, I guess. Wow. Two takeaways if this is a parable of any type. Um, the first is there are honest people who are willing to deal justly with you. And yes. I'm very, very grateful for the, the folks who are working at the Cub Foods in Blaine. And... I think the interpretation of Christ's parable, because I, I understand it a little bit better now about the lady who loses her 10 coins and just sweeps the whole house, turns You're everything right. inside out until she can find the coin because those are, those are hers. And that is how the angels feel about one sinner who repents. The lost have been found. And there's so much joy. And now I'm telling the entire world slash listening area about how much joy you feel when you find what is yours and you're reunited with something that was lost and now is found. And that is how God feels about us. Awesome. 
Thanks, Rebecca, for that little story. You're welcome. Let's take a little break and then bring on Dr. Ian Paul. It's never been easier to listen to Faith Radio. One way is on an Amazon Alexa or Echo device. To get started, say, Enable Faith Radio. Now, when it's enabled, say, Play Faith Radio. That's it. You can now enjoy the live stream. You can also access previous programs and podcasts. Enjoy Faith Radio at home, work, or anywhere there's an Alexa or Echo device. Learn more at MyFaithRadio.com. You have your people, the people who help you connect faith to life. When they show a simple trust, those people are your kids. When it's unconditional forgiveness, maybe it's your spouse. And when it's someone who serves and teaches and encourages, maybe it's your pastor. We all have people. At Faith Radio, we are a collection of those people growing together every day in the ways of grace and hope and truth. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. to the show. I'm always happy to talk to Dr. Ian Paul. He's a theologian. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's an academic consultant. He's a chocolatier. He's just about uh, everything you could imagine and then some. He uh, loves working in his garden, doting on his dog, eating chocolate, and meeting friends and colleagues for coffee and cake. Whenever I get a chance to talk to him, I'm always smiling. And of course, Ian is living in the UK, which would put him about six hours ahead. So, Ian, how was dinner? Uh, yeah, no, dinner was good actually. What'd yeah, you have? Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we were finishing up leftovers, so we had some moussaka, but I had some fish pie that my wife made a couple of days ago. That sounds pretty good. I like leftovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. You are such a wealth of um, knowledge, and I just love having you on the show. Um, Thank you. So, kind of you. I want to talk about how to interpret the Bible, and yep. four essential questions. I want to hear all of them. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've seen my booklet. I do. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, I've got it open in front of me, too. <laughs> uh, Let's look at the, the four areas that we need to take seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, the, the best place to start is actually the whole question of why we're inter- you know, why bother interpreting at all. Surely we just read the Bible and that's it. Right. But that's a big question, how to interpret the Bible. That's a huge yeah, one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It and is, and it don't, is. don't you find, Ian, that we are oftentimes getting in small Bible studies and you know, I, I, I've sometimes politely and, and kindly said that when you get in Bible studies, that sometimes amateurs teaching amateurs to be amateurs. <laughs> well, I think there's two interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting, that question, because we're either. Um, I mean, the danger is that you're just pooling ignorance on the one hand. The opposite danger is you kind of say, well, we can't do anything unless we have an expert. And then you have to look to the expert. And then the end, the danger with an expert is that you're not reading the Bible, you're listening to an expert. So Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, so, you know, yeah. 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 Um, but I also think, too, that when people go around in a Bible study and they say, well, what do you think it means? That's kind of careless as well, isn't it? It is, yeah, cause, because then what we're doing is we're saying, well, what matters is what I think rather than, you know, what the text actually says. And, yes, yes. You know, we, and we don't bring any sort of disciplined approach to it. But, so so, for sure. so yeah. it raises the perfect question, how to interpret the Bible? It does indeed. And we've come to, to, to your door asking, <laughs> how do we do this? Well, I think one of the things is, uh, uh, one of the things when I find I'm talking to people about how you interpret the Bible, 
the first thing they raise an objection saying, well, what, what is this process of interpretation? And I, I do find that a lot of people are very skeptical about the whole language of interpretation. You know, somebody once said to me, oh, interpretation, that's where you make the Bible say things it wouldn't otherwise say, isn't it? Um, <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> wow. I say, well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Uh, we're all actually always interpreting all the time. When I say something to you or you say something to me, we, we're interpreting. We might not realize it because it happens really naturally. Mm -hmm. And particularly if we live in the same culture and we're speaking the same language, then um, we, we don't need to be aware of the interpretation process because mostly it happens naturally. You begin to realize that interpretation really matters when you cross over into another language or you cross over a cultural barrier. Um, I don't want to brag about my holidays, but last year I had a holiday in Morocco, which was Ooh. fantastic in North Africa. Rub it and in. Was, yeah, yeah, I will, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was really good. And, you know, we, Morocco is not very far from the UK, so you just jump on a plane, it's a couple of hours. But um, we... Uh, we had a guide who he had, he had his English was okay, but the real problem, or the real challenge, was interpreting his sense of humor. I hadn't realized it, but Moroccans have a really distinctive sense of humor. They love to tease you, and we were with some some other Europeans, some Dutch, two Dutch families, and they just didn't get his sense of humor at all. <laughs> it wasn't far off from ours. And when yeah. he, when he said some stuff, they were really they got really offended. Uh -huh. And realizes that you're crossing although he was speaking that we were all speaking english same language you're crossing a cultural barrier and then actually you need to interpret when he made some joke and was needling us he wasn't being mean or rude he was just having fun you know and we we had an understanding we'd misinterpreted and the other thing people don't realize with the bible is that we're constantly already leaning on interpretation Mm -hmm. Every time, you know, we're in, a, we're in a small group at home or we're in church and we've got our Bibles open, we're listening to the preacher. If you're reading the Bible in English, you've already interpreted the text because translation is an act of interpretation. So the translator has had to look at the original words and the phrasing and Greek and Hebrew or Aramaic, and he's had to, he or she has had to make a decision about how you interpret that word, that phrase. That's why we get different Bible versions, which again is a, a thing when you're in a Bible study group that always confuses people. Well, my version says this, my version says this. Well, the reason for that is because the different translators have made different interpretive decisions, either on the meaning of the word, more likely on whether they're trying to capture the individual word or whether they're trying to capture the meaning of the phrase or whether they're trying to capture the emotional impact of what is said. And those three different ways of interpreting will give you three different results. So you might have a very word for word translation one person has. You might have a kind of phrase for phrase. You might have a you might have a paraphrase, which is just trying to communicate the feeling of the text. So, you know, we're, we're all already dependent on, you know, in, interpreting the Bible if we're going to read it in English. And I guess most of us are going to read it in English, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we can't get away from the need to interpret. Yeah, um, of course. Students will also have a, a Greek or Hebrew uh, Bible for reference to look up words, but they're not reading it in the Greek or the Hebrew. They're still reading it in English, and sometimes just referring to words in the Greek to try to get a deeper meaning. But when we well, that depends on how fluent they are, of course. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So, so uh, because I'm a because I'm a, a, a you know I'm a professional scholar, then I tend to read in in Greek and Hebrew. So I will. If, I, if, if someone's, I, I always like it when people read really slowly in church, so I can follow in the Greek or Hebrew <laughs> if they read too fast. Yeah, so you read, to, you read in Greek and Hebrew, and you vacation in Morocco, and you still talk to me. I think this is fascinating. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. But the, the really interesting thing about interpretation, again, we can often miss it, is that we actually see this process going on in the pages of Scripture, which we, we might not have realized. So, for example, we, we open John's Gospel, and we hear this amazing um, description of the Word and this sort of cosmic vision. Then we get down to the nitty-gritty, and we meet John the Baptist, and, and, and he is pointing people to Jesus. And he points these two disciples to Jesus and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. Um, and they, they say to him, Rabbi, and John adds a comment, Rabbi, which being translated means teacher, where are you staying? So he's already pointing out, and you know, it's really easy to read that and skip over the significance, but he's already pointing out that the disciples are speaking a different language from the language that John himself is, is writing, and therefore he is already having to interpret and translate from Hebrew or from Aramaic that they're speaking into Greek. So we can already see that the, the apostolic witness of the New Testament comes from an act of translation. And of course, the reason for that is because of Christian mission. You know, one of the things that Christian missionaries have always done all through history is they've engaged in interpretation and in translation because we believe that you don't have to read. You don't have to. If you're a Muslim, you have to read the Quran in Arabic. If you're a Christian, you don't have to read in Hebrew or Greek. It really helps. But you don't have to because, you know, the, the missional activity of God means we want to translate. And it does mean we, we, we interpret from, you know, from one culture to another so that the gospel can be known in, in all sorts of different cultures. Let me take a little break. Dr. Ian Paul is my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Dr. Ian Paul. Uh, he is, uh, we're talking about his book, How to Interpret the Bible, Four Essential Questions. And I have to say, this uh, little gem is uh, not an expensive purchase. I think it's uh, four or five dollars, isn't it? Sound about right? Yeah, that's Ian? right. Yeah, 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 that's right. And it will help you look at four areas that you need to take seriously when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Let's talk about again. I just want to go back to the the four areas because I I think it, I think it should be lovely that we should learn how to speak in or how to read it in Greek and Hebrew. I mean, I think that's something if if uh, we should be more encouraged to do. I don't I don't think it's that scary. I don't do it myself, but I it seems well, like it would be a smart I, I, thing to I, do. Yeah, for sure. And I know three year olds who are perfectly fluent in Greek. Oh, they live in Greece. Okay, fair enough. All but, right. Now, I know. knew there was a catch. I knew there was a catch. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, certainly in the UK, we're really poor at learning our languages. It's really embarrassing. You go to another country and everyone speaks English. But but yeah, no, it's it, it isn't. It's it, it's easier than, than people think. But uh, and uh, you know, of course, there was a time not very long ago where you know most people, certainly in, in the UK, a generation ago, two generations ago, it kind of was expected you'd learn these languages, mm -hmm. um, classical languages. So, but we're we're in a different time now. So yeah. yeah. All right. yeah, I mean, in, in my in my my booklet, my growth booklet yeah. that I wrote on this, I I drew together what it seemed to me to be 
you know, four really key things that we need to do in, in interpretation. And again, I'm not, I'm not wanting to step in here and say, well, I'm an expert. You know, you, you only read the Bible if you listen to me. These are things actually that we know about when we stop and think about it and that we actually often do in our reading anyway. And that's especially true of the, the first uh, skill that I think we need to bring to the Bible. And that's recognizing what kind of writing we're reading. So, you know, I, th I, I guess most of us can name different kinds of writing in the Bible. So, you know, there is poetic writing. There is kind of legal writing regulations. There's narrative, there's stories, there's parables, there's letters. There's the whole, the whole range of stuff. There's, there's these amazing prophetic visions. There's this sort of apocalyptic stuff with stars falling from the sky, all that kind of thing. Um, and... Um, when I say that to folk, they go, oh, yeah, it is. I think the danger is we, we open the Bible and we think we're reading one kind of thing, and that is religious writing, religious kinds of writing. Mm -hmm. Actually, the Bible uses every kind of writing that there is. Um, I, I once did a test on a class I was teaching. I said, you know, can you think of a kind of writing that the Bible doesn't use? And some smart guy at the back said, oh, what about text message? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I said, hey. Hey, what about Daniel? Belteshaz Vist, the writing on the wall. Many, many tekel tarsin. That looks like a text message to me. <laughs> Touche. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, actually, there's a whole whole series of kinds of writings there. And and what's really interesting is that um, we are all experts at detecting different kinds of writing. And I bet Bill, you did it this morning. You know, well, I don't know. Do you get mail delivered to your house? Yes, I do. So. In the morning, you might come down for breakfast, and maybe the, the, the postman's been already, and you open the, you go to the porch, and you pick up the mail, and, you know, already you are thinking about what kind of writing these things are. So, you know, if you get a letter, certainly in the UK, if you get a letter, which is like, we have, we have this A4 size, one third A4, you know, a long envelope with a mm -hmm. window, and your, your address is in, you can see through the window, your mm -hmm. address is typed, it's left aligned, you know this is a kind of business or a bank manager kind of letter. Right. And, but you, you know that already. Huh? And, but if you get a square envelope and it's got your name written by hand on it and a stamp stock on it, then you know this is like a personal letter kind of writing. So you, you, before you've done it, you know, before you've even put your cereal out or cooked your bacon or whatever, you already have discerned what kinds of writing these are. And that's going to affect the way that you read what, what's inside the letter. It's going to affect, the, you know, you know, you've got a certain kind of relationship with the people. So recognizing this kind of kind of writing tells you all sorts of stuff and you've done it without even thinking. Uh, and actually we need to be doing the same sort of thing with our, our when I'm reading our Bible text too. The, the problem is, you know, um, uh, when you go to visit, uh, if you ever go to visit a mosque, you'll see in the, in the porch area of the mosque, there's a rack where people take their shoes off and put their shoes in because they're going to a holy place. Well, you know, when I visit churches, I find the same thing. I find I go in the front door and there's a little rack there and, and it's where you take your brain out and you put it on the rack. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really there right it's kind of you know yeah it, it's metaphorically there you know but sometimes you know we walk in the door of the church and somehow or other we forget all the things that we do in our daily lives and the skills we've got and and, and we read the bible and think oh no we've got to treat this differently yes this is a holy book but yes this is written by people and people write in different kinds of writing so mm -hmm. actually recognize that it really helps you know now I guess your listeners will have different kinds of views about the beginning and end about the book of Genesis, and the book of Revelation. But 
and 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 you know the Christians have disagreed about these. You know, is Genesis literal? Is it is it is it poetry? Is it you know what about the visions in Revelation? What's going to happen? Well, you know, part of the conversation that we're lacking is to say, well, what kind of writing is it? And I've always been struck by the fact that you know in Genesis chapter one, you've got the six days of creation. They're incredibly poetically structured. So you know, God says, "Let there be light," and there was light. The, and then came evening, and then came morning the first day. And then then came evening, then came morning the second day. Then came evening, then came morning the third day. And you know, when you look at the first three days, the things that God forms on the next three days, then in the same order, He fills them. It's incredible poetic description. I think just recognizing that kind of helps us to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. The same is true with the Book of Revelation. Just recognizing what kind of writing it is. Now, interestingly, one of the kinds of writing Revelation is actually a letter. In chapter one, John says. I, John, greetings to the seven churches from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it tells you stuff. Now, that's just that's just like, you know, dear Bill kind of letter writing. Mm-hmm. So that makes us realize that, you know, John is writing this thing to particular people at a particular time and a particular place in Western Turkey. And just recognizing what kind of writing we're reading, what we're reading yeah. you know, is, is real help. Yeah, when know. Jesus said... Oh. oh, go ahead. Jesus said... Yeah, when Jesus said... You know, there's a, the, the, a man went down to Jericho. You know, he's telling a story when he says a sow went out to sow. You know, just like we would say, once upon a time. We right. know that that's a, a story, which, is gonna, which has got a point to it or something. Yeah. So, you know, I'll even go back up and say, when I go to the mailbox and I get letters, uh, the one that looks like it's from the bank and versus the one that is, has got personal handwriting on it will determine how I open them. Yeah, I'm going to be very careful with the handwritten note. I'm going to get a, a letter opener. I'm going to cut it open really nice and smooth and yeah. easy. Because it, I, what if it's something I want to keep for a long, long time? The thing from the bank, yeah. I just jam my finger in there and rip it open as fast as I can. But but it, you will also interpret them differently. You know, if if you open the bank manager letter and it says, "My love is like a red, red rose," you're going to be kind. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it sets up all expectations. You know, yeah, it tells us about our relationship. So, yeah, yeah. and the same again. The same is true in scripture. And sometimes we just need to bring to the scripture the skills we already have. You know, and we use all the time every day in our reading. Yeah, let me take a little break. Dr. Ian Paul is my guest. We're talking about his book, How to Interpret the Bible: Four Essential Questions. We've just been talking about kind, what kind of uh, text it is, and then. I want to go to context and content Mm. next to Mm. if we can cover that. We'll take a short break and be right back. Praise your name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are my God, and all I want to do is praise your name. 
If you are just joining us, I'm talking to Dr. Ian Paul. He's originally from London, and he studied pure maths at St. John's College, Oxford, and applied maths at the University of Southampton. We have very little in common, uh, but I sure love his spirit, and we're learning about how to best interpret the Bible. He's giving us some great principles and great study tips. We've just been talking about kind, what kind of... Uh, text it is, and then I want to go to context and content mm. next to mm. if we can cover that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the second skill is just to recognize that even if Scripture was written for us, it wasn't in the first instance written to us. Um, and and actually, when we're opening Scripture, we are doing two things, and we're doing two things at the same time. Firstly, we are reading what people have described as a love letter from God. We we are we are hoping by reading the scriptures, not just to get knowledge or to get information, we're hoping to hear from God by his spirit what he what He has for us uh, to do today and, and, and this week and this month in our lives. But at the same time, we are also going on a cross-cultural journey. Now, I, I mentioned I went on holiday to Morocco last year. Yeah, well, I, I asked you, you not to rub it in. Oh, Remember? sorry. <laughs> well, when you go, I, I come to the States as well. So but in either case, you know, when you go to a different country, they speak a different language. They have different customs. They have different expectations of how you behave, how you eat, um, the kind of things you can say to people, how you greet someone, and so on. And, and actually, when we open the Bible, we are also going on a cross-cultural journey. You know, okay, so you haven't been to Morocco, but you can go on a holiday to another country, Bill, just by opening your Bible. <laughs> uh, but, you know, people people have used different language differently there, and they they the biblical writers will assume because they're writing to other people, not to us, even if writing for us then they will assume some things in the text that we might not realize and we have to stop and think about. And there's a couple of really big examples here. I mean, one of, my, one of them is I'm, I'm always struck by because in the, in the British churches, we, we kind of read this story every year, and it's one that I'm sure your readers are familiar with, where Jesus in Matthew 25 talks about the parable of the talents. So the, the story he says, is he, he says he's, he's talking about the fact that at some point in the future, he will return. So he tells a story about this. It's like a man who goes on a journey and he entrusts uh, these talents to his servants and he goes away long for a long time. And then when he comes back, he asks them to give an account for what they've done. And, you know, the guy who had five talents made five talents more and the guy had two talents and two talents more. And the guy had one talent was afraid and said, oh, I knew you were afraid I'm master, you're a terrible master. So I buried mine and he, and he you know, he gets a rebuke. And, you know, I've heard so many times people interpret this as saying, oh, well, that's, a story about how we use our God-given talents. So I'm good at reading or studying. You know, someone else is good at playing the guitar. Someone else is good at being an accountant. Someone else, you know, and, and Jesus wants us to use our talents. But there's some real problems with reading it that way. First of all, okay, I may be like good at playing a guitar, but is that really something, a, a treasure that's been entrusted to me? Well, you need to look back and say, okay, how did Jesus understand this? What language was he using? How would his readers have understood it? How would Matthew have made sense of it? And how would his readers have understood it? And you know, a talent is actually the Latin word for half a kilogram of silver. Now, sorry, kilogram, I don't know how many pounds it is. That is a lot of silver. You know, that is worth a fortune. And you know, I may have all sorts of natural abilities, but really they're not worth half a kilo of silver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You know, the story here is about a man entrusting a, a really expensive, costly treasure to these people. Not just not just odd pennies, not just, a, you know, a little gift. Something really valuable and really expensive, and really costly. Now, what, what would they have understood that to be? Well, you have to look back through Matthew's gospel, and Jesus tells a story about a really costly treasure in Matthew 13 that a man finds buried in a field. Guess what that stands for? That's the treasure of the kingdom of God. It's really costly because Jesus bought that treasure for us with his blood, with his, with his life. Mm -hmm. And the story here, when you realize that the, what the word talent means to Jesus and to his listeners and to Matthew and his listeners, you realize this isn't about using our natural abilities. In fact, we've got the word in English, talent, from this story. So it's just Wow. Kind of yeah, that is so interesting. Yeah, but, but people don't realize that. It actually means, originally, it means a great pile of silver. Uh, and, and, and therefore, this, what the story is about is not, do I do my job well? Do I play the guitar well? Do I sing? Do I whatever? The, the, the story is about, what am I going to do with the treasure of the kingdom of God that Jesus has entrusted to me? Mm -hmm. Am I going to hide it away? Am I going to bury it? Am I embarrassed? Am I afraid? Or... Am I going to take that treasure and invest it in the life of others? And when we do that, that's when we, we get a return on it. And, and that's just a difference. I mean, that, for me, it changes the whole story. And that's just the difference it makes by reading the story in its historical context. Um, you know, Bill, that my favorite book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. I did, did not know? know that, but I, I know now. Oh, what it is. Okay, yeah. And again, there's another lovely example from... Uh, the book of Revelation. And again, it's, just, it's, a, it's a little saying that, that, that people know really well. And um, where the risen Jesus says to the Christians in Laodicea, you are neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. Mm -hmm. Because you're lukewarm, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, again, it's really well known. And most people interpret that saying, well, you know, lukewarm means a bit indifferent. You know, I kind of go to church, but I don't do much about it. I, I, I kind of say I'm a Christian, but I don't do much about it. You know, I'm just a bit lukewarm. And that's what Jesus doesn't like. That cannot be what this is about. That cannot be what the meaning of this text is. Uh, the reason for that is that, first of all, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. And we would normally think that means hot means, you know, passionate in your faith, Cold means indifferent or unbelieving. You know, maybe you're an atheist. It can't be that Jesus says he, we, he would rather we were an atheist than we're kind of a lukewarm Christian. That doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't to me anyway. And in fact, it doesn't make sense for the people whom Jesus was speaking to, whom John was writing to. They lived in this place, Laodicea. You can go and visit it. You can see the excavations there. You can see the, the water pipes that conveyed the hot spring water at the top of the hill which then came down to the, to the city, by the time it reached there, it was lukewarm. And, you know, hot water is good for something. You know, you want a hot bath on a, on a day, you want to warm up, you want to get clean. Mm -hmm. Cold water is good for something. If you, live in a, if you live in a hot country, you know, you really want a cold, cold water. And just down the river from this here was Colossae, and they had cold springs there. Hot water is good for something. Cold water is good for something. Lukewarm water, which they got in Laodicea, is good for nothing. You can't drink lukewarm water. It's no good. You have to let it cool down or you have to heat it up. So in other words, Jesus here isn't saying your faith is no good. He's saying, you know, you're not actually doing anything with it. You're not blessing those around you. You're not either bringing healing or you're bringing refreshment. 
yeah, again, you're keeping your faith to yourself and you're not letting it make a difference. So again, that's just a question of saying, what was life like for the Laodiceans uh, and therefore how would they have understood it? It's about reading the text in its in its context. Now, I'm really conscious that for some people, sorry, you're going to say? No, no, please keep talking. I was just, some people are going to say, okay, well, how do I know that when I'm just opening my Bible on my own? Mm-hmm. Very surely, true. Surely I want God to speak to me, you see? And I say, well, okay, well, first of all... <laughs> That's the question I was going to ask, by the way. Okay, well, <laughs> it's, good to read, it's good to read the Bible on your own, but actually the Bible was given not to us as individuals. The Bible was given to God's people together. So we're, we're helped in doing this when we read it together. Mm-hmm. And we read it together with our friends and neighbors, but, you know, through books, we can actually read it together with scholars. We can read it together with people who in past generations have, have read with us, you know, with all, all the saints. So part of the reason for me re- writing this booklet is to say to folks, look, here's some insights that I've learned, and I want to share them with you so that we read this together uh, with one another. Uh, and again, that's a really key part, I think, of, of, of making sense of Scripture mm-hmm. and hearing how, what other people have learned and how they, they can help us. Again, I'm not saying that you're handing over your reading to an expert, but you are listening. We are listening to one another, and so you know I need to listen to people who know more than I do. And and actually, the internet can be a great thing for that as well. You can you can connect with other people and say, well, how did you make sense of this? And you can learn from those you've had time to study. Yeah. Can you find people that know more than you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bill. There's a lot of people in the world that know, know okay. more than me. Just to go but, just to go back to the talents, uh, Ian. It's kind of interesting how you read the context and people will instantly want to make it about them. About yeah. my talent, my yeah, guitar absolutely. playing ability, or whatever it is. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, it's also part of reading it in its in its context within the uh, the gospel, and saying, "Well, hang on a minute. Do we have some treasure, some really expensive stuff mentioned before?" And going back and saying, "Okay, yeah, I can see how that how that how that connects together." So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it and it is the focus uh, of the focus of the biblical narrative isn't primarily me and how I can be happy. The, the focus is what has God done. And therefore, how do I live? Mm-hmm. You know, here, so a good, really good rule of thumb reading scripture is to say, who's the hero? The answer is the hero is God. The hero is Jesus. In the end, what scripture is saying is, look what God has done. Look what God has done for us. Look what God has done for us in creating the world. Look what God has done for us in calling us to know him. Look what God has done for us in redeeming us through Jesus. Look what God has done for the world. And then saying, okay, as a result of what God has done, how do we respond? How do, how do we then live? Mm-hmm. All right, I think we have time for content, and then I'll have to have you back on the show just to clean things up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That'd be a good idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. after uh, another trip to Morocco. I, <laughs> um, uh, you, I, you, I, I can see that's God to you there. You'll have to come over, and we'll go on a trip together. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've got that on tape, so I can hold that's, you to that. That's great. Yeah, the next thing I noticed is just looking really carefully at um, what is the text actually saying. Uh one of the things that psychologists talk about is a thing called confirmation bias. You know, we, we come with assumptions when we read something, when we look at something and we say, well, I know what that's going to say. And then when we read it, lo and behold, it says what we think it's going to say. Mm. Um, uh, and it do, often it doesn't, but often we find it really hard to, to actually spot what's going on. Uh, and especially for those of us, if we've read the Bible, you know, again and again and again, then um, you know, we think we know what the answer is, uh, and then it's really hard sometimes to look with fresh eyes. Um, I've got a lot of books in my study here, and uh, one of them is, I think, is my favorite. At least it's got my favorite title, and the title is "How to Read More Slowly." Hmm. 
which isn't what people always think they want to do. They want to read more quickly. You know, there's so much stuff coming at us. There's so many books around. There's so much stuff on the internet. We want to take the information in more more quickly. Actually, again, the culture of the Bible is, a, is we're, we're stepping into a world where people had very few texts. They had very few words. I, I don't know if you've ever wondered why the Gospels are so short. You know, if you're trying to write a life about Jesus, you, you'd want to write loads and loads and loads. Well, one of the practical reasons is that, you know, your parchment is expensive. Uh, you've only got so much parchment you can write in one go, and it's got to pass around to other people, so you can't make it really long because reproducing a book by hand in those days is really expensive. So the, the gospel writers, and in Paul's letters as well, they've chosen their words really carefully. So sometimes what we need to do is we need to slow down and we need to read more carefully. All right, we're going to take just a very short break like we always do. And when we come back, lots more with Dr. Ian Paul. We'll be back in about 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. Awfully uh, excited to once again be talking to Dr. Ian Paul. Right before we went to break, he was uh, telling us about how we need to read the Bible more slowly. Um, one of the texts, again, I look at when encouraging people to read more slowly is, again, in Matthew 25. And for your listeners, again, this is going to be a really controversial text, so I'm sorry if I'm ruffling some feathers here. But it, it's a text where Jesus says, about that day or hour, this is Matthew 25, verse 36, about the day or hour, nobody knows, not even the Son. In the days of the coming of the Son of Man, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. People were eating and drinking, and they didn't know what was going to happen until the day that Noah went into the ark, and then the flood took them all away. It'll be like that in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There'll be two people in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. There'll be two women grinding corn. One will be taken, and one will be left. Now, I guess that's a passage many of your listeners will know, and it's a passage which you'll know has been associated with a thing called the rapture, where Christians are secretly taken away to be with Jesus, and the, 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 the wicked, the unbelievers, are left behind. Um, but the real problem is, when you read slowly, what is Jesus actually saying? He says, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, the wicked did not know what was going to happen until the flood came and took them all away. And it'll be the same in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Two people will be standing in a field, one will be left, one will be taken away. And when I'm doing this with folk, I always say, in the days of the, of the son of, of Noah, who gets taken away, the wicked or the good? And they go, well, the wicked are taken away in the flood. Absolutely. In the days of the Son of Man, who's going to get taken away? And the answer is the wicked. Jesus here isn't talking about a rapture of the virtuous, of the believers. He's talking about the fact that you know, and the day when Jesus returns, there's going to be judgment. And if you haven't put your faith in him, then you'll be taken away in judgment. 
So it's exactly the exact opposite to the most common way this text is read in the English-speaking world. And all I'm doing is saying, hey, let's just slow down and let's just read the text carefully and see exactly what Jesus actually said or what Paul actually said and so on. Now, I don't know if that's a surprise to you to read the text in that way, Bill. <laughs> it's not. That's it's fascinating. And I love the reading slower idea because who has time for that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, but again, for Matthew writing this, he's writing really carefully. Jesus is choosing his words really carefully. Uh, one of the things I've loved to notice over the last few years is how carefully Jesus chooses his words and how carefully he structures what he says. And it, you know, it makes it really easy to read. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in, in Matthew's version of, of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches, uh, he gives four invocations and they, he says, Our Father in heaven, and then says, Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, he's got three lines there, and they're each of exactly four words in Greek. So he's structured, he's chosen his words really carefully. And then, he's, then we say, you know, as, uh, as, in, as in heaven, so on earth, uh, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he's got three sayings again, and each of those has got six words. He's, he's chosen his words really carefully, and he's done it here so that it's really memorable. We can memorize it. So again, we just need to pay attention to the words, the, the words that Jesus chooses and the words that Matthew records. And it's amazing how it's amazing how memorable they are and, and, and amazing how carefully he's chosen his words. Mm-hmm. Ian, this is so interesting. I learned so much when you come on. And I, I'm wondering, when you think of Christians you've met, how many have approached Bible study with this kind of uh, structure in place? Do you find that most people are just kind of winging it? Or are they, I know that everyone should buy your book and read it because it's uh, going to be great. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how often do people... Uh, take this approach and, and study with this kind of structure? I think it really varies from place to place. I think it, it depends on how well you've been taught about how to read Scripture. Okay. I think it, I think it depends on how seriously we, we take our, our Scripture reading and, you know, and how, much, how much time and attention we give to it. Yeah. Um, I think it, it also depends on whether we are wanting just to get a kind of a quick fix and say, okay, I've got to have something now. It's kind of like the difference between drinking a sugary drink on the one hand, or drinking something or eating something which is going to nourish you, you know, in the long term. Um, I, I guess you know we do live in a culture of the sugary drink. You know, we 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 want a quick answer, we want an instant hit. Um, and actually, as we, if we want to grow up, if we want if we want to grow mature in Christ, um, and we, we want to understand and grow into everything that God has for us, then. You know, we need to take time, we need to slow down, and we need to allow God to not just give us some instant answers, but also to, you know, to really shape us, to shape our understanding and, and, and form us, you know, in, in, the, in the things that he has for us. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I find that in um, 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking to the, the Christians in Corinth, and um, he's trying to sort out all their disputes, and you know, he gets this section in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about the spiritual gifts. And he's kind of like offers them a love sandwich. He talks about the gifts in chapters 12 and 14. In the middle, he talks about, you know, love and about growing in love and growing in maturity. And at one point in chapter 14, um, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, he says, look, in wickedness, I want you to be like infants. But in understanding, I want you to be fully mature. 
And, and, you know, Paul's goal for these Christians is not just they'll solve their immediate problems, but they'll solve them and they'll, out of understanding everything that God has done for them and everything God has for them. And I guess, you know, I would hope that, that in our churches the goal is the same, that we, we actually want to grow up and grow into maturity in our understanding. Now, I'm not saying that that's making people into academics. Um, you know, I, I've just met the most wonderful, mature, uh, spiritual Christians who, you know, dropped out of school when they were young and, and would, you know, and not, not academic in any way, but they're really mature disciples. And that's God's goal for us too. Not that we, not that we have lots of head knowledge, but that we, we take time to allow God to, to speak to our hearts and to form our characters as we read the scriptures, as we read the scriptures well. Mm-hmm. Ian, thank you so much. Uh, tell our listeners how to get to your hard to pronounce website. <laughs> well, the, the website is Sefidzo. Uh, that's just a Greek word meaning to uh, do sums with pebbles to count or to vote for people. Uh, the easiest way is uh, you just get on a search engine and search for Ian Paul blog, and uh, that I'll come straight up. Terrific. That's the easiest way to find me. Terrific. And I just so enjoy uh, having you on the program, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. It's been wonderful. No problem. Great to be with you, Bill. Yeah, thank you so much. My guest has been Dr. Ian Paul. His uh, booklet is called How to Interpret the Bible. Uh, for essential questions. You're going to want to pick this up. And again, a big thanks to Dr. Ian Paul. He's always a delight, and he's got that cool accent. You know, if you have not made plans yet, you're going to want to think about making plans for November 21st. It's a Thursday night. We're going to have a live Afternoons with Bill show, but we're going to record it in the evening to give everyone a chance to get home from work, get some dinner, and come on over here for a great night of Bible teaching with my regular guest, Jeff Verdorn. He's going to teach on the parables of Jesus. And of course, the parables are, they seem so simple and they're so memorable. And they usually have such great imagery and they always convey wonderful messages. And Jesus spoke in parables for obvious reasons and he used simple everyday things like, you know, a woman baking bread or a man knocking on his neighbor's door at night or, you know, the aftermath of a roadside mugging, the Good Samaritan. So there's all kinds of uh, great things to learn in parables. And uh, Jeff Redorn, if you've listened to my show, you know that Jeff's not only a regular guest, but he's a really brilliant teacher, and you're going to thoroughly enjoy the night. So let me remind you what it is. It's free. All you got to do is go to MyFaithRadio.com, go on the website, and then you'll find a place where you can register and get a seat for the event. And again, it's November 21st. It's a Thursday night. So we will start meeting around 630 and then we'll start recording and teaching starting at seven. There will be uh, some uh, sugar and caffeine available for you when you come. And it's going to be a really great night to uh, to meet and shake hands and take some pictures and just have a wonderful hour of Bible study. So I definitely recommend you bringing your Bible that night and also bringing a notebook. And I bet we've got some really cool faith radio pens laying around here that we could we could let you borrow and then you could just maybe just even take home you know talk about bonus stuff wow that'd just be awesome anyway that's coming up again november 21st we have limited seats i think we've got about 75 seats and they're already day one half of them are gone so you're not going to have uh, a lot of time to get a seat but jump on the website get a seat we'd love to see you and i'm going to look forward to uh meeting you in person So that's all coming up. And of course, that wraps up our Monday show. I loved all of the guests. Thanks again to Patrick and to Clay Kraby, Dr. Ian Paul. Uh, Just 
really a wonderful hour. I always learn so much, and I usually go back and have to listen to my own show at night just so I make sure I don't miss anything because I do have wonderful guests. And more than that, I have incredibly wonderful listeners. Thank you for uh, doing this with me because, you know, without you, I don't have a show. So thank you. Uh, And have a great night, everyone. When you lay that head on the pillow, get a good night's sleep. Know that God is just at work in your life in the most spectacular way. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.